Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to this Fireside Folklore episode of Stories of Scotland. I'm Jenny and I have a surprisingly small bannock. And I'm Annie and I have a surprisingly long spear. In this wee episode, we're going to be telling some scary stories of smelly monsters. We have two traditional tales of hideous mythological beasts who rain terror upon their regions and the brave heroes who dare to take them on. So, dear listeners, we recommend that you sharpen your sword and slip into your chainmail, because we are journeying back to an ancient age where massive monsters were making major mayhem. This is going to be a very big adventure indeed. Well, Annie, I'm glad you came prepared. Because we are starting with a story of a shockingly scary slithering creature. Let us step back into the dark recesses of time, to over 800 years ago, where we find ourselves in the fertile glens of Cassily in Sutherland, which, despite its name, is in the far north of Scotland. This land is rich. Its rivers are full of salmon leaping up cascading waterfalls, bonny wee butterflies flutter on the breeze, and plump merry sheep chew upon the endless pastures of emerald green grass. However, this picturesque piece would soon be disturbed, never to be the same again. For something had sinisterly slithered into Sutherland, and made its home in a great hole in an even greater hill. This gigantic monster was fierce and hungry, and no creature was safe from its fury. The beast was well hidden in its hole, and only ever poked its head out to hunt. Had this monster not been so well disguised, the locals would have seen that it was almost exactly the same shape as a rather gigantic worm. 
Hang on a wee minute. A giant worm. Yep. This isn't a terrifying monster at all, Jenny. A seagull could take this on. To be fair, some of the seagulls in Inverness are definitely big enough to give this worm a go. (laughs) (laughs) But it's worth noting, Annie, that this was a very wise worm. It never fully left its hole, so people couldn't see that it wriggled very awkwardly or how it became mildly distressed when it rained. Plus, it really was monumentally mammoth. It was the length of a river and the width of a house. It could reach spectacularly far outside of its hole without ever fully leaving its lair. If it wanted, it could easily have snapped a seagull out of the sky. And it often did. This worm was an insatiable, gluttonous guzzler who ate anything that would fit in its massive mouth. Plus, it had a secret weapon. The monster's main threat was its venomous breath, which poisoned any living thing that came within reach of its ravenous jaws. The mere presence of this worm constantly breathing its toxic breath meant that the hill emitted a mist like a smoking volcano. However, if this mist was inhaled, it would subdue the victim and make them so sleepy they were unable to fight when the worm came feeding. And if perchance the worm didn't find you, then it was still bad news. For if too much of this poisonous gas got into the lungs, it was fatal. So strong was the breath of this monster that it blanketed the glens for miles around, bringing desolation to all living things. The salmon fled the river back to the sea. The butterflies flustered away from the fatal clouds. Despairing, the local folk herded their cows and sheep away from the once beautiful pastures as they fled their homes. On the unpredictable occasions that this gross abomination did emerge from its burrow, it would wrap and wind its way around the hill in great spirals until it had slithered all the way to the top. Upon reaching the summit it would gaze down upon the now-dead glens, looking at the wasteland that it had created with its disgusting, gassy breath and its relentless hunting. It's hard to read the expression of a gas-breathing worm, but anyone who saw this monster as it looked down over its own destruction would wonder if it was proud of all the damage it had done to the community and environment. Was this monster taking glee in its work? Or was it simply searching for its next victim? This cursed hollow in the hill where the monster had made its den became known as Tall Naknoive, or the Worm's Hole. And the hill it coiled its body around became known as Knock Naknoive, the Hill of the Worm. Now the King of Scotland, William the Lion, heard about this plight in Sutherland, and he was greatly worried by this havoc-reeking and reeking-breathed worm. The noble, brave Highlanders should not be brought down by a big, smelly worm. He was weary of this bane upon his lands, and also conscious that the ridiculousness of this monster undermined Scotland a wee bit. It was almost embarrassing. And so, 
William the Lion did what kings do best and outsourced. He brought out a big chest of gold and offered it to the one person brave and strong enough to slay the monster. However, his brave and strong knights, glad with their large suits of armour and great broadswords, all declined the opportunity. They had heard terrible rumours of this beast and dared not become victims to the colossal worm of Sutherland. Slowly, it became clear that no one was coming forward, and so the hope of the far north community of having their lands free of the torment of this big, evil, stinky worm began to sink like a stone in a loch. They lost heart. Not even the king could encourage someone to come to their rescue. They would never return to their homes and their glens again. And any poor soul who strayed too close to the worm's hill would be forever fearing for their life. However, a young farmer, exiled by the monster's stench, realised that since no one was going to step up to save Sutherland, then he might as well give it a go himself. He wasn't a knight with armour and years of training, but the blood of ancient warriors ran through his veins. Not the kind of warriors who would win a jousting match or dressage tournament, but the kind who only fought to protect that which they loved. And this is how farm lad Hector Gunn found himself shrugging, stepping forward and declaring that he was going to slay the worm. Now, the people of Sutherland were fond of Hector. He was a handy lad who did a great job of ploughing the fields. And so they gave him a lovely big plough horse called Deirdre to ride into battle with the worm. And they wove pleats into Deirdre's mane to give her a look of ceremony and thus confidence. Because you, you always do your best when you look your best. <laughs> That's nay true, Jenny. <laughs> You're right, I'll rein it in, Annie. The local innkeeper pulled a sword down from above the fireplace that, to be honest, everyone thought was just an ornamental sword. But, sure enough, it was strong and just about sharp enough for killing a monster. And so, this is how Hector Gunn found himself on brave and noble Deirdre charging towards the hill of the giant worm. And it just so happened that on that day, the worm was sunning itself atop the hill, looking down upon the glens as though it owned the world. Hector rode bravely towards the evil worm's hill of doom, but as soon as his horse rode into the poisonous, toxic mist, it began to splutter. Hector himself felt weak, his head turning light and his limbs turning heavy. He realised that he was soon to become a snack for the worm and began to panic that everything was over before it had even begun. However, Hector heard a blessed noise, that of a snoring monstrous toxic worm. The beast was asleep. But despite this, sensible farmhands don't ride into monster fights when they feel unwell and Hector was not going to risk the life of his precious plough horse, Deirdre. And so, 
Making the difficult decision, he turned around and rode back to the village. He returned to the inn, where inside the locals had gathered to discuss their awful plight. And his heart broke when he saw the disappointed looks upon everyone's faces when he told them the worm had not been defeated. That's a good thing the worm was asleep, or else Hector Gunn would have been breakfast, the friendly innkeeper offered up his wisdom, and to be fair, he was right. However, Hector Gunn's mother raised no quitter, and he refused to be beaten by a big smelly worm, even one with supernatural gassy powers. And so, he hatched a plan that would use the worm's smelly tendencies against itself. Hector borrowed the longest spear he could find, and then he borrowed the second longest spear he could find, and then the third, and the fourth, and so on, and so on. He then tied all these spears together until he had a spear that was 7L long. An L is an old measurement. A Scottish L is 37 inches. So this mega spear ended up being 6.5 metres long. That's an L of a long spear. (laughs) (laughs) Hector then headed over to the closest peat stack and grabbed himself a gorgeous slab of dried peat. He stuck the peat on the far tip of the spear like a s'more on a skewer. And finally, he asked the kindly innkeeper if she had any pitch. She boiled up a great cauldron of it and when it was ready... Hector dipped the peaty end of the spear into the cauldron and completely coated it in pitch. Pitch can be made from either tar or plants. You'd recognise it if you see it because it's essentially black, bubbly, thick. It burns incredibly easily, but it also burns for a long time. I think what most people would recognise pitch as being is when you see burning pitch torches... In old films, when there's some kind of mob going to someone's house to burn it down. It's also where the phrase pitch black comes from, because it's so dark. Ah. And so, with his pitch-covered peat on his very long spear, Hector gave the pretty Deirdre an apologetic treat, a big handful of oats. And then the two brave souls returned to the evil worm's hill, the peat aflame at the end of the mega spear. This time, he didn't hesitate, and he galloped right up to the worm as it opened its mouth wide in delight, ready to eat him up. But Hector too was ready, and he waved the long spear in the air and shoved the smouldering peat in the face of the monster. The beast hated the smell of the peat, and the wind blew the smoke right in its eyes. Finally, the worm had a taste of its own pungent medicine. It was almost suffocated by the smoke and coiled up in pain. With this, Hector took his chance and rode closer still until he was level with the ginormous worm. And, with one quick movement, he thrust the burning peat deep into the mouth of the beast, all the way down its throat to the full length of the spear. The burning, pitch-covered peat ignited the pockets of gas inside the creature. The giant worm caught fire and burnt up in the most dreadful stench. 
all hell broke loose. <laughs> to hell and high water. This worm was on a highway to hell. Hell <laughs> <L>, yes. <laughs> With this victory, Sutherland was finally released from the torment of this exceptionally bad-smelling, gassy worm. The folk of the land were able to return to their glens and reclaim their farms. The butterflies floated back, the salmon swam home, and the sheep grazed happily once more. The King of Scotland, William the Lion, heard of Hector Gunn's courageous deed and rewarded him with gifts of land and money, and they all lived happily ever after. Yay for Hector and Deirdre and her incredibly well-kept mane. Yeah, <laughs> that definitely played a massive part in the, in the success. <laughs> <laughs> but the story shares many similar threads with one of my favourite Scottish folktales, Assy Pato and the Meester Stoorworm. We released this a couple months ago and if you haven't heard it, you can sort of dig back in our archive and find it. But it's an epic story. Yes, that tale is set up in Orkney so they're both stories of the far north. It's likely that these tales share very similar roots. Either that, or there was a time when there was genuinely a plague of giant worms invading the far north of Scotland. Quite likely. Hmm. (laughs) Before the next story, just a wee advert. Head to the National Library of Scotland at George IV Bridge in Edinburgh to see their Skeel, or Story, exhibition. It celebrates Gaelic folklore as collected by John Francis Campbell, who had a deep fascination with traditional Gaelic culture. It's a free exhibition which runs until April 2024. The Skeel, or Story, exhibition is presented in both Gaelic and English throughout, and is the library's first bilingual exhibition. Read both original Gaelic and English translations of magical stories, from the hero sagas to local tales of giants, witches and monsters. There's some beautiful illustrations on display by John Francis Campbell, sometimes using materials such as peat and whiskey to paint. It's truly an exhibition that captures the Highland and Island storytelling landscape, and it's not to be missed. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, Annie, what great beast have you got for us all? 
I have an oversized reptile monster thing. Oh, I love oversized reptile monster things. Let's go. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> Except for the meteorite that killed them all, but we don't need that. <laughs> this story is set in 11th century Scotland under the reign of King Malcolm Canmore. Like many kings and queens, Malcolm Canmore kept a terrible monster. Malcolm's monster was a hideous beast. It'd been formed in an age before we humans. It had a body that looked more like it belonged frozen in a fossil than in the world we recognise today. It was shaped like a huge lizard, covered in shimmering green armoured scales. It was a carnivore, of course, who ate anything that lived, and worse yet, its appetite was huge. The king kept this bizarre beast because he believed his control of such a powerful creature showed that he was the strongest king in all the world. He thought of it as a symbol of his own power. Now Malcolm kept his monster in Aberdeenshire, on a wee island on the River Dee near Braemar. This was an unpopular political move with the local community, who were taxed heavily for the upkeep of the monster. Quite understandably, they did not like seeing their hard-earned income go to this horrible monster who lived on the island on the river. Once a month, a different family would be nominated and expected to feed the horrible monster with a big fat pig or a healthy cow. After they had ferried their prized livestock over to this ungrateful beast, they would then pass the feeding burden onto another unfortunate household. And so the cycle continued, to the point that everyone hated this monster and everything that it took from them. However, when it came to the turn of the MacLeod family, they despaired. You see, they only had one cow left, and she was worth her weight in gold to them. She was a truly lovely cow. The MacLeod family were made up of Granny MacLeod, her son Angus and his wife Morgan, their baby and of course their beautiful cow Tickles. The MacLeod family gathered around Tickles, the cow, and they discussed how they were going to save her. Angus was a very skilled archer, and so the family came to the conclusion that the only way they could save Tickles was to slay the monster. And so Angus took his best bow and his finest arrow to the banks of the river. Here he did an incredible impression of Tickles and he mooed to draw the attention of the monster. And this evil beast looked directly at him. Staring into the eyes of the beast, he took aim and shot the nasty crocodile creature directly in its eye. And just like that, the monster was dead and Tickles was saved. Oh, that was easy. But there's a plot twist. Oh. Because when King Malcolm Canmore learnt that his one-of-a-kind, unique crocodile monster had been murdered by one of his subjects, he was furious. He thought of that crocodile creature like it was a pet. How dare a common man take down his glorious monster? 
And so the king told the people of Braemar that they must erect a big gallows on the hill of Craig Honich, so that they could hang the disobedient MacLeod boy in a very public execution. Mm. However, the whole MacLeod family came together to plead for Angus's life. First, Tickles the cow mooed a sad lament, begging for the king's forgiveness. Mm. Four out of ten attempt. Sorry, Tickles. Don't think that's going to cut it. Next, Granny MacLeod cried at the feet of the king, offering her life instead of her son's. Oh, that's some solid work, Granny. Eight out of ten. Finally, Morgan, Angus's wife, approached the king with their little baby in her arms. She pleaded that no bairn should be without their father and said that she would do anything at all to save her husband. Oof. 10 out of 10. Smashed him. With this, the king smiled, but it was a bit of a nasty smile. He wouldn't take mercy on the MacLeods, but he would take some free entertainment. And so he ordered that poor Morgan should stand on one side of the river with her wee baby, and that condemned Angus should be separated from them by the fast-running water. Ah, 0 out of 10, Malcolm. Not cool. A tiny wee barley bannock, which is a small bread roll, was placed on top of the baby's head as a target. Angus was given only one arrow and told he must shoot the bannock. Now there were conditions. If he hit the bannock without injuring his wife or child, then he would be spared and his family would get what they want and his monster murdering crimes would be forgotten. However, if he missed the bannock or hit anything, then his death sentence would be going ahead as planned, and they would add some more painful elements in, just as punishment and entertainment. Oh my gosh, minus 10 out of 10, Malcolm, this is grim! Angus didn't like the sound of this challenge, but he had absolutely no choice. Plus, it was a windy day, and the king had picked an unusually small bannock to place upon his baby's head. When Angus looked at the size of the bannock, he thought it must be the little bannock that was made at the end of the baking process when you've used up all your dough making the regular-sized bannocks and you've only got a tiny bit left. The dregs. The dregs of the dough. (laughs) No one wants to shoot at the dough dregs on their baby's heads. The tension of the onlookers was so thick that it could have been cut with an ornamental claymore sword from above a fireplace. (laughs) However, Angus took a deep breath. He drew his arrow and slid it into the notch of his bowstring. He realised how tense he was in his shoulders and exhaled, relaxing, because everything in archery is about flexibility. He knew his family's future relied on this one arrow, this one shot. So steadying his hand, he drew back the bowstring and released the arrow. It flew true and it struck the bannock right off the baby's head, to great relief of all watching. The crowd cheered and clapped and celebrated and Tickles mooed happily. Even the king was amazed at the archer and his skill and realised that though he had lost his favourite monster... He had now gained Scotland's finest archer, who he would employ in his king's guard. From then on, the MacLeods had great royal favour. 
Yes, Angus, 15 out of 10, bullseye. You've absolutely smashed it. Sometimes the story adds that the McLeods were then given the extra name McCardy to be the first in the McCardy clan. So if there's any McCardys listening, that's part of your origin folklore story. Tiny Bannocks and Giant Lizard Creatures. That's a pretty good shout for an origin story. It's a great tale. It is a great tale. I love it. And I think it's interesting that we have two stories of big monsters being slayed here. But one where a king is keen to see the toxic worm taken down. And the other where the king loves his evil, enormous pet crocodile and is distraught when it's killed. It just goes to show kings are fickle creatures, just like the monsters of their lands. Yes, I think the relationship between monster and monarchy is a complex one, Jenny. (laughs) But in both cases, the local communities were the ones who were suffering at the hands of the monsters. And it's from these communities that people came forward to defeat the beast. Monster slaying stories are as old as time, often following a very predictable pattern. Yet, I always find this style of folklore rather uplifting. In the end, the monsters are slayed and the community is safe. What more could anyone want? A cow named Tickles. (laughs) And a horse named Deirdre. (laughs) With that, thank you so much for listening. We've had some brilliant support lately. Um, Beautiful reviews coming in, so thank you all so much. We've seen lately that you, our wonderful Stories of Scotland community, have been sharing the show online. And it means so much to us to see this help in growing this podcast. A massive monster-sized thanks to our patrons who pay the price of an artisanal bannock of bread a month which adds up to mean that we can afford to make the show. If you're interested in joining the Patreon, it's linked in the episode description and you'll get access to lots of new content and help us as we make the show. A big thanks and welcome to our newest patrons, Owen and Pip. Thank you all so much. And until next time, stay away from those big stinky worms. Slanjava. Give Tickles a pat. The dregs, the dregs of the dough. <laughs> no one wants to shoot at the dough drags on their baby's heads. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> That's an old phrase, Jenny. <laughs> Sit up, Annie. Good posture, good story. And now for a wee advert. Head to the National Library of Scotland at George IV Bridge in Edinburgh to see their Skeel, or Story, exhibition. It celebrates Gaelic folklore as collected by John Francis Campbell, who had a deep fascination with traditional Gaelic culture. It's a free exhibition which runs until April 2024. The Skeel or Story Exhibition is presented in both Gaelic and English throughout and is the library's first bilingual exhibition. Read both original Gaelic and English translations of magical stories, from the hero sagas to local tales of giants, witches and monsters. 
There's some beautiful illustrations on display by John Francis Campbell, sometimes using materials such as peat and whiskey to paint. It's truly an exhibition that captures the Highland and Island storytelling landscape, and it's not to be missed. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.